No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism. New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering the left, energizing the right. New Right Network, home of the New Right Movement. Prominent juror activist, famous for legal periscopes during the Russiagate affair, uh, lawyer and wartime conservative that is taking the, <laughs> taking the torch from the Max Boot and uh, Bill Crystals of the world. What's a wartime conservative, Will? So that's a piece I wrote a couple months ago. Uh, a wartime conservative is, is, is a person who's willing to use government power to achieve conservative ends. And I think the, the key distinction is recognizing that this is not a peacetime environment. So much of the way that establishment conservatives approach the culture war, approach dealing with the left, it's kind of from the 1990s when there was a lot more bipartisan agreement about issues. And I think that in 2019, there's so much profound disagreement, both about policy, but also about just the nature of what American culture should look like, that there's not really a peaceful reconciliation available right now. And so conservatives need to be willing to fight aggressively. And as aggressively as the Democrats do, right? Yeah, there's exactly. not a, a principle they won't violate. There's not a custom you know, or, or a norm they won't throw away to win. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and so... You know, my my approach to that is is very similar, like we should be using uh, and we should be looking to win as conservatives. And that means that when it comes to, say, Facebook and Twitter, uh, an establishment conservative would say, OK, these are private companies. We should just leave them be. And I think a wartime conservative would say, actually, no, Facebook and Twitter are the center of public discourse in 2019. And it's ridiculous for conservatives to simply concede the ability to control what happens on those platforms to the left and to the massive number of leftist employees that work at Facebook and Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. I, and the Republicans are perfectly willing to do that with a few exceptions. You know, Josh Hawley is trying to work on that, but he doesn't seem to be mm -hmm. getting much traction with it with the conservatives, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, Will, you started uh, or you purchased uh, human mm -hmm. events in February yes. of this year, right? And, uh, yes. and, but in that outfit, that has quite a history. And I and yeah. I love and I love the um, you know where the name comes from right the first line in the uh, in the Declaration of Independence when in the course yeah, of human exactly. events exactly okay, this was uh, one of um, Reagan's favorite uh, uh, outlets I hear right right it was one of Reagan's favorites um, it was very appealing to purchase for that reason like there aren't that many one there aren't that many prestigious outlets in our space right if, even in conservative media you have things like National Review. Um, yeah. and <laughs> like, but those are all establishment. There was nothing that was really the nationalist conservative space that had like a prestigious name. So human events was available since it was effectively defunct and it's a name of a very famous conservative magazine. And then, uh, so that was really the core reason that we thought, okay, this gives us an opportunity to build something prestigious for our side of the aisle, because the ideas and the approach that we take can easily fit into a very sound and intellectually defensible way of looking at the world. And, and, but there's nobody making that case. Like Breitbart and The Daily Caller are great, but they're not doing that. They're not thinking about how do we make the case for Trumpism? How do we you know, push the conversation in the direction we want? 
in a serious way. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's a big endeavor. I mean, you're a young guy, right? And this was a yeah. this was a thing to take on. So how can uh, how can we support you? How can we help? So that? Uh, we have a membership program, uh, humanevents.com/members, uh, that allows you to get access to our private Discord chat, um, which is sort of a private internet chat room where I interact. And every every weekend we do a internal like house radio podcast. So that's one easy way, or you can simply donate on the website. Um, but the simplest way for most people is simply to share and read our articles. Uh, follow me at Will Chamberlain on Twitter. Follow Human Events at Human Events on Twitter, and share what we do because. We're not paywalled. I, I firmly don't believe in paywalls. I, I think they're completely pointless in the yeah. era of uh, essentially 2019 discourse. And because I think they're pointless, I think that it's it's really about making sure that the people who support you were able to share your content and watch it go viral. Because um, yes. like, and so we're very focused on making an impact. And so I think a, a paywall is anathema to my approach to media in general. I've read some of the stuff in there. It's really good. And, and you're right. It's a different thing. It's not the Daily Caller. It's not um, in Breitbart. And you had a good article on there the other day. Um, what is it? Hope in, the Hope in a Small Town. A lot of yeah. people read that article. It's really, really good. Yeah. No, that was, that was a fascinating one to edit. So a, a longtime follower of mine uh, sent us a very rough piece of prose, but that had this really heartfelt, honest feeling and, and a really interesting explanation of why he personally supported President Trump so much. And so me and my editorial team looked at that and we saw like, okay, let's let's preserve the heart and then also polish up the prose to make it a really good piece because there, there is a really good piece here and it just takes the technique and experience to, you know, edit it properly. Um, and we were incredibly happy with the result. And uh, I mean, it got shared everywhere. The Trump war room shared it, Gorka everywhere. I saw it everywhere. I was really, really, really gratifying. And, and, and that's what we want to do. I mean, we're not just, we only publish one article a day when we're trying to. In fact, the last couple of days we haven't published anything because we've been busy with other things. But <laughs> our, approach is, our approach is to publish one article a day and, and because we want to take the time to really make things sing, to make them beautiful. So that means, uh, you know, beautiful artwork. If you've seen the pictures we have, they're always beautiful. That's because we make them bespoke for every single article. It, it is uh, really, yeah, pleasing to look at. It's nice. Yeah, exactly. Like and then the prose is like everybody keeps looking at it. Um, uh, and uh, and making it look absolutely beautiful. And that's a product of taking the time to really make sure the pieces are good. So yeah. that's what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, very good. That was nice. Um, okay, I wanted to kind of get into uh, news. Uh, mm -hmm. Joe Walsh. You destroyed Joe Walsh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, yes. I think yes. single-handedly you destroyed him. Yeah, I, it was sort of, I didn't realize how effective it would be, but it was just, it was, I, you know, the way I work in Twitter and, and I think about things is I'm trying to, I'm trying to test things out and see what's getting traction and do things I find interesting and good. And so the moment I saw Joe Walsh was running, I was like, okay, let's, let's try some replies. Let's try dunking on him a little bit, see what happens because it's available and it's easy. I did it. People liked it. I'm like, okay, I like doing this. My audience likes it. We're on to something here. <laughs> Keep it going. You know, use that to use that as a basis for writing an article. Actually, this is an interesting sort of sub point connecting back to human events. We're only doing one article a day, so it's got to be interesting. It's got to be relevant. We can't just publish anything. It's, right. it's not worth the effort. It can be a dud. Um, so I use Twitter as an A-B testing kind of marketing, you know, focus grouping almost. Right. I'm trying to see what narratives that I think of work 
and what, you know, what things I could do that people find interesting. So that was the start of the Joe Walsh thing. And then the other thing is he just made it so easy. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so many bad tweets. Uh, it's almost unbelievable. And, and, you know, there's an interesting difference. And this is something I don't think that the left or even the never Trumpers really understand. I think the president is not precise with his language, right? I think that's a thing about the president. He's just, he's kind of, he can be very sloppy in the way he articulates things. He's not a lawyer. That's never been his style. Right. Um, and so he's, he's sloppy at articulating. And so he can say things that are in the text offensive, but the meaning, he, you can tell that he didn't intend them yes. to be offensive, right? Yes. Right? It's yeah. very common. And then, but you contrast that with Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh was actually saying racist and bigoted things. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, he admitted that he was knowingly lying about President Obama being a Muslim. Like, and he was still tweeting that as late as 2018. <laughs> and then he went on television just recently and said, yeah, I was lying the whole time. I never believed it. I mean, that's appalling, actually, when you think about it. It's funny because it's ridiculous, but it is, it's very immoral to essentially, you know you're lying about something and you're going to, you're pandering. I mean, it shows contempt for your audience you're pandering to a belief you think they have that is that you think is ridiculous um yeah. and it's actually a very offensive belief additionally at this point i mean even president trump was over that um, i don't even know that president trump ever even said it, that president, yeah i'm not president sure trump, i don't yeah. think so um so you know i find it, the whole move towards joe walsh it's interesting for another reason is that joe walsh it's almost as if never trump thinks that trump voters will vote for uh, a candidate who's a very hyper-libertarian on economics, very neoconservative, right? The old, kind of the old consensus. They'll vote for an old consensus candidate if they're racist. That's, I think that's how Bistol, Bill Crystal looks at the world. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah, I get you. Because right? we're all racist for voting for Trump. So if they put up a racist with their bad ideas, then, oh, I get it. Exactly. Right. Rather <laughs> than thinking, oh, we need to change our ideas and become more like Trump on the side of policy, populism, trade, nationalism. They're like, no, we just need, we can do what we were doing. We just need to be more racist. And that that to me is it's wrong, but it's also it's a it demonstrates how much contempt they have for and, Trump. And and how little they learned from uh, 2016. They learned zero. Exactly. I agree with that 100%. And so, so, you know, quickly, you think this will have any impact that, you know, the Joe Walsh and the, um, who is the other guy, Mark Sanford? Uh, uh, I mean, not really. Uh, I think they'll, I don't even know that there'll be a primary debate. I mean, except maybe between the challengers, but I don't see any reason President Trump would debate these clowns. There's no meaningful chance they have of disrupting his ability to win the nomination. Uh, they have no constituency outside of the left, you know, like other within, right. internally right. in the Republican Party. President Trump's approval rating is close to 90 percent. This is not a person you can primary in a, in, in a reasonable way. And not and a person a reason, anybody would. Yeah. And, and there's a reason Joe Walsh is only going on CNN and MSNBC. Those are not places that channels Republicans watch. They're not. Uh, you know, he's got an audience full of people. His supporters wouldn't vote for him in a general election. Right. <laughs> right. They vote for the Democrat. They would vote for the Democrat. Yeah. And so who, who's bankrolling this? I mean, uh, I mean it might be yeah. Yar, whoever Bill Crystal's got on his team, uh, who's been bankrolling the bulwark. I assume similar donors are behind this. Yeah. Um, it feels like a rearguard action to try, try and take back control of the party by any means available to them. I mean, I think underlying. You know, why would Bill Crystal do something like this? Something so silly, back someone so obviously unfit? Power resentment. Like he's out of power, resents those who have it, and is just 
flailing trying to find something to get that power back. Right. Right. Okay. Um, oh, so let's get into some news. Mm -hmm. So the biggest news of the day is Comey. Yes. The IG report. I didn't read the whole thing, but the gist of it was a little bit disappointing. Like, you know, he, he behaved badly. But, uh, you know, yeah. it seems like so much more than that. So, I mean, I'll give you a preview. I've been writing, that's what I've been doing today. I've been trying to write an article on this sub subject. And I read most of the IG report and I have a pretty good handle on it now. Um, I think it's actually very damning of Comey's character uh, because it makes clear that both FBI policy and regulations and the employment contract Comey signed say that memos that you write in the course of your business don't belong to you. They belong to the FBI and you don't have the right to just disclose them willy nilly. Um, and it's pretty really clear that, you know, in a in a situation where either they were looking at whether he should keep a security clearance or whether they should fire him if he were still hired, the end conclusion of that IG report would be Comey should be fired and the security clearance should be stripped. Right. Those things have already been done because he was fired two years right. ago. Right. But, like it is it is in a sense damning of this is like a firing offense. Now, whether it's criminal, that's harder, right? Because the question of whether it's criminal is whether he knowingly or you know recklessly leaked classified. And that reading it, it actually, I understand where Barr is coming from. Um, because there's only really one memo. He leaked a small amount of classified to his lawyers. And it literally says it's about six words in a broader memo that ultimately that, that particular tidbit of information should have been classified. And so just at the outset, you're like, okay, he probably just missed that six words. And if you're trying to prove in a court of law that he knowingly leaked classified <laughs> and you're looking at a six word tidbit, it's like, that's not a good case. You can kind of see why the prosecutors would be like, okay, we're not, we're not going to prosecute him and try and put the guy in jail. Um, but, you know, the whole report is, is a very damning portrait of a man who really believed that he was above the law effectively, like that he, he was not bound by department of FBI policy, his own employment contract. Uh, long-standing practice, nor like he just could do whatever he wanted to to steer the ship of state because it was so important. And I, and I think that that's a really, you know, yeah. a very arrogant man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, Hillary's the same, right? It seems like these people yeah. that spend their lives in this system um, not only believe that they're above the law, they are, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Hillary situation is different. I think that there's a lot stronger criminal case to be made against Hillary Clinton. I mean, in terms of a made, private right. server. Um, here, I mean, again, it's only a few memos and only one of them that was only disclosed to like three people contained any classified and it was six total words. So you're sort of like, okay, I mean, uh, it would have been really, really hard to see a crime here based on what they found. But uh, I mean, what is the FBI director doing violating FBI policy and leaking what they call sensitive investigative information? They shouldn't be doing that. It's not his job. He's not his right. on the president. Yeah. 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 So uh, and OK, let's let's move on then to the the, um, the Epstein case. There yeah. was a report a report came out yesterday saying the cameras were broken. It seemed kind of redundant because I thought we knew that already, but um, it seemed new yesterday again. I struggle with this one because I, I like to think of myself as a very sober person, you know, someone who's very grounded and, and, and is generally skeptical of conspiratorial narratives. Uh, but I got to say, I just I don't believe he just killed himself. I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I, I, the evidence so far has made me think that the much more simple explanation for all these bizarre facts is that somehow someone either murdered him or he was encouraged to commit suicide. I don't know who. I don't know why. I don't know how. 
but right. it's like I just don't believe the existing like the existing story that he killed himself, broke a bone in his neck. Every you know, every, no one ever checked on his cell. The cameras don't. I mean, you just go down the list of things. And yeah, you, you the know, guards were asleep. The cameras were broken. Yeah, <laughs> everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Like yeah, with it's the, the highest profile criminal defendant in the country. You know, just okay. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't fly. I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. And I've, I have some friends and I try really hard to see the other point of view. And, you know, I even have friends who've worked in the, the prison system and who have said, no, this could have been this. This this was probably a suicide. I, prisons are over understaffed, especially this one. Uh, it's not surprising. These guys were working, you know, overtime shifts. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sorry. But, you know, yeah. like, That's how do they let it happen to person. Epstein? Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. So what's going to happen going forward? I mean, you, you're still going to have these civil cases from all the people who are abused. And they'll instead of going after Epstein himself, they'll have to go after the trust, which contains his, you know, his assets, the assets from his estate. Um, so that'll be a, probably a very long and complicated piece of litigation to make sure that why they why they have won the tort, why they get to see the trust. There's a whole bunch of pro legal problems that the lawyers will need to solve and will solve, um, I think, over time. Uh, in terms of further prosecutions, I don't know, maybe something will happen to Prince Andrew, who seems to be pretty exposed, given what we see in terms of photographs and of him hanging with Epstein, hanging with that 16-year-old young woman. Uh, like, like the, you know, he seems fairly exposed uh, at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if something somebody decides to finally indict him on something. Uh, but it'll be a challenge uh, to go further, especially without, like, the testimony of someone like Epstein, who could have, you know, Put a lot of people behind bars probably right and then his um what is that that uh grizz what is her name griswell or or uh, uh Maxwell. yes well yes oh yes <laughs> uh, yeah i don't i don't know i mean it's like it it feels it feels dirty a lot of it feels dirty i, I just am i'm reluctant to speculate exactly how and what and why because yeah. that's where you're like my, my approach to this is you don't want to foreclose any theory because, you know, just because you say that the existing story narrative doesn't make sense doesn't mean you should foreclose any and pick one like the Clintons did. it. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know I, there are a lot of other people, apparently, who probably have a motivation. I don't want to focus on one particular, you know, potential right. murder here. Right. Uh, all I want to say is I just I don't think he just committed suicide. That's all. That's well, the yeah. extent of my controversial hey. belief. Even the most conspiratorial conspiracy theorists don't believe Hillary went in there and killed the guy, right? They believe yeah. the system is geared to have allowed this to happen, whether it be murder or suicide. The system is geared to protect those people that have been in power over decades, right? And that, right, right. It, it's throughout the entire system, right? right? So, I mean, and it's, I, you know, people say, Oh, you can't say Hillary. It's like no one thinks Hillary went in there and did it. Like that's not the theory. The theory is, you know, the entire system that that's protected people like her and like Bill and and Epstein himself all of these years uh, is geared to uh, to make sure things like this don't come out. And I and I believe that you know whether he did it himself or they just allowed it to happen, um, you know, I think it's damning either way. I think for the government. Got it. Um, and then one other case I wanted to talk to you about was the Johnson and Johnson case that came out this week, where um, they're liable for the uh, for the opioid epidemic. What do you think right. about that? Have you reviewed I mean, that? I, I think that 
probably ends up being right. I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, class action seems right for that. I think uh, it, in general, it just makes sense that if you're sending out drugs that you know are getting people addicted and hurting their lives, uh, that's a tort, you know, <laughs> right? Like that's a tort. There's yeah. all sorts of, uh, you know, like fraud. There's fraud claims because of misleading, you know, misleading information to the public. Uh, failure to disclose material information in terms of like it's pretty material if you could get addicted and die and they're understating the risk of that. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that there was very serious liability and that they were that they were in trouble. So, so th you think this is going to keep going? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's two plaintiff lawyers can make a mint off of this. They're not going anywhere. So, yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's this is the kind of case that plaintiff lawyers love, right? Like, you know, cases like this, the VW emissions case. Uh, tobacco, uh, some of the Cialis, I think Cialis, the Pfizer cases, like the, these cases where you have effectively like either fraud or product liability. I mean, these are the cases plaintiff's lawyers kill for. And and the, that means you get the best plaintiff's lawyers in the country is handling the cases. Yeah. And those, those people can get a lot of resources behind them. So. No, I, I heard in some discussions about this case that when these some states won big settlements from big tobacco, that the money didn't go to you know prevention and treatment it went into the general fund for you know other state things and um yeah i mean well there's a broader problem in class action litigation and making sure it's not just the lawyers that get paid right i mean and that's actually a consistent problem because uh, it, you actually have what's called a principal agent issue right the lawyers are taking a third of the money but they're not and they're representing a very broad class of people a hard time like making sure that the lawyer is is necessarily reflecting their best interests and i mean another example of this would be uh the cte cases for the nfl right like that was a massive settlement you know 300 million dollars or something maybe even a billion it's a huge settlement right for for nfl players uh who had cte and you could still make the argument that the lawyers just let the nfl off very cheaply because there was not enough money in there for future incidents right the this settlement bound any future NFL player, I think, who suffered CTE, and if they ran out of money in the pot, well, too bad. You don't get to sue. You waived your claim uh, as part of the oh. settlement. Oh. Right. And yeah, the reason bad. being, right, like, well, the lawyers are like, whatever, we don't care. We're going to make $300 million off this because, uh, you know, it's a huge settlement. That's, that's enough to pay for, you know, everybody's, all the lawyers basically are set for life now because they handled the case. But, like, what about, what happens when the money runs out? And did you actually get full value? You know, it would have been a lot harder to get full value. You had to work a lot harder. And it's, you know, it's hard to pass on a billion dollar settlement as a plaintiff's lawyer. But again, principal agent problem. Uh -huh. They're not thinking about the future kid down the line. They're thinking about, you know, can I justify this and will it get me out of the case with the windfall? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's an issue. I wonder if that what will happen with this opioid thing, because we really need to address that. Right. Mm -hmm. There needs to be funds for treatment. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, uh, you know, it's a big it's a huge problem. I mean, I think litigation is totally called for against companies that were flooding in, you know, communities with these drugs, uh, knowingly that, you know, they were going to damage people there. Um, but certainly litigation itself is not going to solve all these problems. I mean, it's a broader, you know, like once you get like I read a very compelling book that uh, I think it's called Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari. And he made the point that when you take away Oxycontin, it's not like the addiction to opioids goes away, but people start turning to heroin. And that's that's really distressing. Uh, and, you know, the addiction is a really, really hard problem. And, uh, you know, prohibition is a tool to help solve it. But, it, it you know, it, it solves one angle of the problem and, and limits 
you know, maybe reduces the number of addicts, but creates other problems as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you think about, you know, just quickly, 2020, what are we looking at? I think it'll be Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren. I think she'll come out of the Democratic primary. I think she's the next, you know, in the polling, she's the next strongest candidate compared to Biden, who I think is is just going senile, frankly. Yeah, he's uh, going to self-destruct. Yeah. And I think I don't I don't see him surviving. Uh, I, eventually, people will get tired of it, especially when the debates get smaller and it becomes more obvious that Biden can't handle himself compared to a Warren or a or a Harris or a Buttigieg. Um, so I think I think Warren is the best play position to take Biden's vote when Biden goes away. Um, and that's why I think it'll be her. I think it'll be an interesting uh, fight between Warren and Trump. I think Warren is a stronger candidate in many ways than Hillary Clinton, even with some of the silliness of like, yeah, you know, but, but like, she, so it'll be, it'll be a very, I think that'll be very competitive. Um, and I think she's also, you know, and she's a very smart woman, right? Like, and, and a better public speaker than Hillary Clinton. You know, she was a former Harvard law professor. So you know, she is not a trivial opponent for the president. And so I think it'll be a, a very, it'll be a tough, I think, I think Trump will ultimately prevail, but I think it'll be a very tr tough presidential campaign. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have everyone follow Will at, at Will Chamberlain on Twitter and humanevents.com and at humanevents on Twitter. Thank you so, so much, much, Will. I really enjoyed talking to you. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Great to talk to you. Bye. You've been listening to New Right Network, mobilizing, countering, energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com.